All right. So all of this is really good. And as we're talking about what it looks like to have good friends, that's essentially what we're going to be talking about today, how to have good friends. I've been realizing something, and you may or may not know this, but have you ever thought about how people don't like church people? Is this news to you? Amen, right? It's okay. You can say it. You can be free. People don't like church people. It's interesting because the church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. The body of Christ is Jesus' plan A for reaching the world. There is no plan B. He will not relegate to a plane where it's just you and him. Not going to happen. He just doesn't subscribe to that, right? And yet, people don't like church people. Here's why I think that is. In the, the context of our popular culture versus like God culture, right? Can we tell those two different? So we've got popular culture over here. We've got church or God culture. What church culture should be, okay? Let's make that distinction before we get started. When we're talking about popular culture, you make friends about three different ways. Here, which, what you're looking for in a friend. The first one is this. You're looking for a friend that makes you look better. No. For real though, right? How many times do we say, oh, I want to be your friend because you have a really cool social media and if I'm in your picture, I'm going to look better. Hopefully nobody in this room has ever thought that, but if you have, it's okay. I know you have at some point in time, right? We all, we do that. We look at friends and we go, oh, you make me look better. In the popular culture, that's how we like to have our friends. Second thing we're looking for is friends that distract us from our problems, we want to go bowling, we want to go out to movies, we want to go to grab a Starbucks or whatever, and we don't want to talk about our problems, we want to be distracted by our about our problems, right? That's what popular culture is looking for in friends. Have you ever been in a situation where you like open up a little bit and it's really clear right away, nobody wants to know? Anybody? Grant and I were invited to a neighborhood party several years ago, and we had this really funny experience where, uh, I won't go into all the details, but one of the conversations I had at this party, uh, the person said, so, so do you stay home with your kids, or what do you do? I said, yeah, uh, I stay home with my kids, and also I'm a pastor. And it was like, the look on her face was like, I'm interested in you to, I, I, uh, I, is somebody calling my name? Oh, excuse me, I gotta go. And I was like, wow, you could not have made that more obvious, all of your opinions about church people, right? So anyways, we look for people in popular culture to distract us from our problems. We don't want to go deep in those friendships. The third thing is we only want certain parts of you. When we're talking about friends in pop culture or like in, you know, worldly friends or whatever, we're looking for people who I'm like, I like this about you, but do not talk about this, right? Oh, I love this friend, but do not talk about politics with them. It's not going to go well. Anybody ever have that? This is like how we sort of gravitate, especially when you're in school, when you're making friends, when you're in high school, right? This is totally what you're going for. But when we talk about kingdom friendships, or eventually how we're going to define peer discipleship, we're not looking for that. This is what we're looking for. Instead of looking for people who make us look better, we recognize status really doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. Right, Because you already have the highest status you can get. You are a co-heir with Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. You may not have, you know, like that bucket list family on Instagram that like spent, you know, they had a tech company. They made like a billion dollars or something and they spent the world traveling with all their kids. I'm like, this is amazing for you, right? And that may look like really cool, but you don't need that to have a status because in the kingdom of God, you already have the highest rank you can get, Right? So with kingdom friendship, status doesn't matter. The second part is embracing and helping people with their problems. If over here we're trying to distract ourselves from what's going on in our life, over here we're pressing into what's going on in our life and we're actually saying, hey, I want to support you in your journey of growth. And the third thing is, instead of only wanting certain parts of people, kingdom friendships are people who accept the real you. 
who you know you can let your guard down with, right? So here's a question for you. What would it look like if churches were filled with kingdom friendships? Just think about it for a second. What would it look like just in the Oklahoma City metro area if all of our thousands of churches were filled with people in this category instead of this category? I don't know about you, but when Grant and I were, uh, felt like God had called us to plant this church, it was about six years ago when the Lord said this, and he said, hey, you know, I want you to plant a church in Oklahoma City, and both of our responses was something along the lines of, why? <laughs> there are thousands of churches in Oklahoma City. Why would we add another one to it? And at one point, God said to Grant, and I love this story, he said, you know, it's not like people don't know where to go if they want to go to church. Think about it. There's probably a church within a one-minute driving distance to your neighborhood, unless you live out in the country. There are churches everywhere. So why aren't churches being filled? It's not because people don't know where they are. It's because when they get there, are they finding kingdom friendships or are they finding this type of friendship? All right. So today we're talking about kingdom friendships, how to make them, how to have them, how to make them work. Because, you know, I guess I could title this teaching how to win friends and influence people. Anybody know that book, right? Okay, well, it's an old book. You can look it up. It's, it's probably really hilarious to read in today's culture. But the thing is that friendships are good. We need friends, but we got to make the difference between who are our buddies and who are our people, right? Like buddies, groups, girlfriends, or whatever, they're great. If you want to go see a movie, if you want to go try out a new restaurant, if you want to, you know, hit up the next food truck, whatever, this is who you call, right? It's fun. But you have to have these kind of people in your life if you're going to be a well-rounded disciple. Why? Because buddies are not on this diagram purposefully. Because if all you have are people in your life who don't really want to talk about what's going on in your life, then how are you going to grow? Okay? Proverbs 7, 27, 17, it's up here on the screen for you. You guys probably know this verse. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Right? So what's the idea here? This is actually the context of a battle. Is, uh, like battle weapons is what this verse is speaking to. But when iron gets dull, they would actually apply more iron, excuse me, apply more iron to it and make it sharper. And so God is actually saying, you with your kingdom friends is the same as iron being sharpened by other pieces of iron. Think about it. When you become dull, your kingdom friends make you sharper right? When you start to fade, when you start to get frustrated with the Lord, when you start to check out with your life with God, it's your friends, your kingdom friends, not your buddies, but your kingdom friends who say, hey, are you doing okay? Hey, let me be a little fire under your tail and put you back where you're supposed to be. You become sharper by being in a group like that. So here's a little more behind the scenes information for you. Our goal at Bethel here is that we would create an infrastructure in the church that is like really knit together like this. That you would have your group of people that you are basically peer discipleship group, okay? This doesn't, it's not a formal thing. It's not like a, we put it on a flow chart and everybody fits perfectly in this neat order. It's an organic thing where you take ownership of your life and you get what you need. Does that make sense? So those people in your groups don't have to be in this room. I'm just telling you, you have to have them. If you want to be successful in your faith, you have to have people who you can be truly real with. So what does that look like? Here, I want to draw out for you kind of our, 
our grand scheme of why we do groups at Bethel. So if you've been around church at any length of time or different churches, you probably heard a lot of great taglines about uh, small groups. So you've heard probably the, the age-old one that life is better in circles than in rows. And, and that's one that's you know nationally a, a really popular tagline for groups. Our tagline this fall is life is better in groups, right? You've got that one. You've got those that say don't do life alone and everything in between. And so there's if you, if you are a church person, like you grew up in church, if that's kind of your norm, then you're familiar with the idea that everybody is, should be in a small group. But do you know why? I'll put it to you this way. I believe different churches have different purposes for their small groups, right? They serve different purposes in the overall agenda. So as I was prepping for today, I thought, you know what? I'm going to let you guys in on a secret, and I'm going to tell you why we do groups here. So this isn't a vision casting thing. This is a strategic casting thing, okay? Because our church around here, we are actually very strategic. We are the kind of people who, um, we don't do, we go with the flow well, but we like to have a plan, right? And you know that if you've been here any length of time. But here we've got church. That's what's happening right now, okay? You're in it. You're experiencing it in this moment. In this room, we've got people driving in from all over the metro area. We've got uh, Midwest City, Dell City, um, Norman, no, that's, I'm going the wrong way. Edmond, Guthrie, uh, where else? Mustang, Yukon, Tuttle, Newcastle, Norman. We literally have people from all over the metro and more in obviously Oklahoma City. So when you're looking for people you can have your kingdom friends with, just a, a quick connection on a Sunday that you show up here might not be the right place to find that, right? So we create groups for you. Okay, so today we're launching our signups for our new series of groups. We've got five groups for you to pick from uh, this fall, and this is how we do groups here. We rotate them. We do them in, in seasons, so we typically we do three a year. This summer we took a break, but we got the fall session, the spring session, and the summer session, and there's different groups each time. Here's why. A lot of churches look at small groups and say, hey, here's your group. This is your tribe. You're in it till you die. Go for it, right? Nothing wrong with that. But for us, our, our small groups are not the end goal. That's not what we're trying to accomplish by having a bunch of small groups. For us, the small groups are sort of like the funnel to get you into these pure kingdom friendships. So we want you in a group so that you can be finding people that you can come into peer relationships with and you can come into mentoring relationships with. So you go to a group, you get to know people, and you see, hey, are we the same? Do we get along? Oh, we do get along. Oh, we like the same things. What would it look like if we got together every other Thursday or every other Tuesday for lunch and we just were in each other's lives, right? That's the goal because that's the kingdom. And we don't need to count that or quantify that or anything like that because it's your life. It's you taking ownership of your life. And so we provide these groups as a way for you to find these people. This is why we want you here. I just want you guys to know this isn't our end goal for you. Does that make sense? Our end goal is not that you attend a group every single week and check I'm a good Christian, but that while you're in the group, you're developing real relationships. Why? Because if we go back to our other diagram, you cannot be a holistic person unless you've got kingdom friendships. All right. I want to take it a little bit deeper. I want to talk about um, kingdom friendships versus like peer discipleship, okay? So again, kingdom friends, these are not people you go out to Starbucks with. They can be, but these are people who know your heart. 
One of the best examples in the Bible of kingdom friendships or, or what I'm going to call now peer discipleship groups. In other words, for a peer discipleship group, you've got uh, no power dynamic, okay? So I'm getting really lots of board time today. So let me just explain to you guys. I don't know if you're familiar with this idea, but when we're talking about mentoring, like we did last week, mentoring always comes with a little bit of a power dynamic, have you, are you familiar with this phrase? Essentially, if you've got someone who has a title and someone who doesn't, there's an obvious power dynamic there or an authoritative place. If you've got someone who's much older and someone who's much younger, the same, right? But the beauty of our peer discipleship groups is that there's no power dynamic. These are people who are not getting together because the boss wants you to. These are people who are getting together because they enjoy each other's company, because they're evenly matched, I remember the first time I recognized what peer discipleship really was, uh, was when I was a, a junior in college and a friend of mine uh, took me out to lunch and we were the same age, same grade in college, uh, same sort of vision for life. She had been dating her boyfriend about the same time I'd been dating Grant. So we were peers. And at the end of our chit chat at lunch, she said, uh, so when can we get together so I can be discipling you? And I want to be honest with you and say that I was like, sure, that sounds great. But the arrogance in me was like, what? Like, and I kind of did that whole, let me think about it, which is code at that time, you know, for like, I have no intention of doing this. I just don't know how to say that to your face right now. And so I'm like, let me think about it. So I go and I think about it and I was going, what can you offer me? Now I'm, I'm recognizing this was ridiculous thought process in my mind, but this is where I was at 20 years old. And I'm like, what can you offer me? We're the same in every single way. So God took me on this journey. About seven or eight years later, I'm sitting on my back porch with a couple who had volunteered to serve in the youth ministry Grant and I were leading. And we were same age, same season of life, been married about the same time. Our kids were exactly the same age, okay? And I was going to disciple her because I was the youth pastor, in, you know, the youth pastor's wife, and she was leading under me. So this was in my mind. And I was sitting with her on my back porch. The kids were playing, and she was sharing about something in her life. And I said, what if you did? And I kind of offered some wisdom to her. And I will never forget her response to me. She looked at me with so much grace and kindness, and she said, I don't think that's going to work for me because, and just kind of explained why. And I remember thinking, cool, okay. That's fine. And she left and my brain started reeling like, what am I going to do? I want to be your friend. I want to be in your life. And I want you to speak into my life. But this messes up this whole mentoring dynamic that I have this grid for, right? Because it wasn't supposed to be mentoring. It was supposed to be peer discipleship. By the grace of God, that's the relationship we ended up creating. She's one of my dear friends. We ended up having great times together of both of us sharing our heart together. Can you guys see the difference of the two? So, all right, my goal for you, my hope for you is that you would have one or two people at least in your life that you have this type of a relationship with that you pursue getting together with them regularly. So let's talk super practically. How do you transition from having buddies to having a peer discipleship group? Or how do you transition from having kingdom friends to actually having a peer discipleship dynamic? I shared with you guys last week my story about the DTR, the define the relationship, right, and the awkwardness of Grant and I starting dating. And uh, you can catch that on the podcast if you haven't heard it yet. It's really a great story. Um, but, you know, sometimes we do need to have a DTR even with our friends. We need to clarify. So I've got two practical steps if you're taking notes. Here's your two steps on how to bridge from friendships to peer discipleship. Are you guys ready? Number one, identify who the people are. It's really not that hard, right? Identify, I like you enough or I could share my heart with you. Identify who they are. Number two, initiate with them. 
well, but I don't like initiating. I'm introverted. I don't like making phone calls, you know, and they don't do text. Well, okay. But if you're going to have a peer discipleship group, somebody has to be the one to say, I will say, can we get together? Right? So identify and initiate. Now, can we just take it one step deeper? Okay. Here's one of the ways you can initiate. I've got a challenge for you all, and I've come up with an easy version and a hard version, okay? And um, here's the challenge. Gather one or two people in your life in the next two weeks and try to make this transition from friendships or kingdom friendships to peer discipleship. When you guys leave today, you're going to get a bookmark that has a list of seven questions, okay? The seven questions, we've created the toes in the water edition, which is for those of you that are like not really sure how you feel about this kind of thing. And then we've created the feet to the fire edition. And you'll know when I explain the questions to you in a second, which one you're going to want to do. I double dog dare you to try the feet to the fire edition with one person in your life in the next two weeks. I don't want to know the answers. I just want to know if you did it and if you enjoyed it, but we'll get to that in a second. All right. So here's how you do it. You say, Hey, send a text to my two friends. Hey guys, can this is, do you text like this? Do you text one handed? Do you do this? Or do you do the weird does anybody know that, right? Where you do the thumb and the weird finger? Have you right. seen people doing that? Uh, the other day I was like out at, a, at Starbucks or something and this lady was like texting like this. And I thought, okay, you do you, girl, right? Um, but if you, okay, so back on track, reining that in. Um, all right, so the seven questions. So you text them, you call them, whatever, and say, hey, could we get together? When you get together, you say this. Listen, guys, I need someone in my life who is a friend who knows me, Okay. You say, I need someone in my life who's a friend who knows me. Would you be willing to do these questions with me? Now, before we get to the questions, I want to go back to sharing about, in the Bible, my favorite kingdom friendship. I forgot to say that. David and Jonathan, I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but in 1 Samuel 18, I'm not going to put it on the screen. It's several chapters long. In 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 1, David and Jonathan become friends. Let me tell you who David was. David was a nobody. He was banished to the fields most of his life. God found him out of like complete hiddenness, anointed him to be king in front of his family, but nobody else really knew he'd been anointed to be king. Now you've got Saul, who's the king of Israel, and Jonathan is his son. So for all intents and purposes, Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel, okay? So David has his big moment. He kills Goliath. Everybody finds out who he is. And then when Jonathan hears about David, something happens in his heart where he's like, oh, we're the same. And I think this is what happened. Jonathan recognized the hand of God was on David. Jonathan recognized it was never for me to be the heir to this throne. It's for you. In fact, the story goes on to say that Jonathan took off his outer like authoritative robe and his weapons and he gave them to David as a prophetic symbol. I'm moving out of the way and I'm siding with what God wants to do in your life. What would your life look like if you had a friend like that? It was despite family aspirations, despite political aspirations, that he made this move to side with God to be a support system to David. In fact, he saved David's life multiple times as that story goes on. And they became very, very good friends. Why? Their friendship was forged in the fire of the insanity that Saul was going through. It was forged in the fire of some really, really hard things where both of their lives were genuinely at stake. But they're a model for us of what it looks like, whether you're a man or a woman, to have a friend that really gets to you. Like the Bible says, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, right? And so I love this idea of what it looks like. I shared this, guys, I shared this with you guys last week about marvelous comrades. I love this idea. What does it look like if we have marvelous comrades in our life? 
So that's what you're thinking through when you're thinking about who do I text. Now, are you guys ready for these questions? Here we go. Toes in the water edition first, okay? So question number one, when you sit down with them, you say, hey, you want to get with me? Well, could we do these questions together? Here's what you can say. Easy out. Hey, my pastor wants me to do this thing. Would you just do it with me? And just like, don't even take the ownership. And then when it's done, you can be like, did we like that? Should we do it again? Right? It can be as simple as that. Here we go. Toes in the water edition. Question number one. Do you mind moving this over so they can see the board better? What is God teaching you right now? What is God teaching you right now? That's simple, right? Hopefully we all have an answer. You might have to think about it a minute. And then number two kind of goes along with it. How are you doing responding to his leading in your life? So in other words, what, how are you doing responding to what God is teaching? Okay? Number three. I told you guys, these are the easy ones. This is when you're like easing in. Okay? Number three. In what ways are you frustrated with God? If you've been a Christian for longer than five days, you've probably got something deep in your heart that you're a little bit frustrated with God about. Can we just be honest for a second, right? Here's why these questions are important. Frustration festers, okay? But we have trained ourselves because of like what we think church is supposed to be. We've trained ourselves to hold our frustrations in so we don't get judged. But when we keep our frustrations pressed inward in us, they fester and then they become like a magnet and they connect to all these other frustrations. And before you know it, you're like, God, you suck. I'm just saying, because I know I've been there at different seasons of my life. I know you guys have been there at different seasons of my life. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, you know? So call out the frustration. That's what this question is for. Okay, what frustrations? All right, number four, how are you moving through that? Obviously, you guys know God doesn't suck. We love God. <laughs> All right, how are you moving through that? So what are you doing about that frustration? Number five, number five, how are you treating your household this week? Okay, who lives with you? Are you honoring them? Are you spending time with them? Are you loving them? Number six, aren't you guys so curious what the fire questions are going to be? Number six, are you getting adequate time with God? Now, here's why we put adequate time with God. I love this because it's not a comparison game. For some of us in certain seasons, five, ten minutes might be what you need. For others, if you don't have two hours, don't go in public, <laughs> right? It's not about the quantity of the time. It's about is it adequate for what you need in your life right now. And then number seven, is there anything you're wanting to hide from God or from me or if you're in a group from us? Is there anything you're wanting to hide from God, okay? All right, so that's the first way. Why are these questions helpful? Because they help you get to the heart, right? Sometimes when we get with our friends, we just chit chat so much that a whole hour goes by and we miss the opportunity to actually get into the heart stuff. So I created a, a handout for you guys so that you can have no excuses. You can just put it in the middle of the table at Chick-fil-A and be like, this is what we're going to talk about today. And I'll find what else is going on in your life on your, you know, Facebook feed. Cause it's really the same thing we talk about when we chit chat, right? All right. Feet to the fire. Are you ready? Buckle up. Here we go. Number one, have you been with a member of the opposite sex that could have been seen as compromising? I told y'all these are fiery. Now let me explain this to you. Okay. In our day and age, how should I say this? Let me give you guys a minute to fill it in, in your own mind as well. Not every relationship you have with someone of the opposite sex is healthy. Right? If you are married, there is like a reality where you can have a chemistry feeling with someone who is not your spouse. Wow, man, the fire just upped. Everybody's like the oxygen sucked out of the room and I can't breathe. It's okay. The Holy Spirit's here. We're going to get through this. 
But think about it, okay? Now, I, Grant and I, in our relationship, like, he runs a company. He's got 90-something people. Most of them are women. Like, it's not like you can't be out with women if you're a man or vice versa. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that was compromising. I'm saying that you were, like, in a closet together for five minutes trying to fix the pantry and nobody thought to maybe keep the door open. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what we're talking about. It's is there something that's going on with someone of the opposite sex that could come back around to bite you later? Okay? Okay, number two, here we go. Have you dwelled on or seen any material this week that could bring you down? Now, I'm not just talking about pornography. I'm talking about when you're watching a show and they've got all the nice cars and all the nice things and all you can think about is how you need more, more, more. Or I'm talking about when you watch something and they've got the best spouse and you're like, that's the one I want. Shoot, it's too late, right? It's anything that you're dwelling on that wants to bring you down in your faith, okay? Number three, all y'all are like, there's no way I'm doing this question. Okay, number three, have you dealt with integrity in your finances lately? I messed that up, shoot. In your finances lately. Forget about that, this. Have you dealt with integrity in your finances? Number four, have you spent adequate time with the Lord lately? We talked about that one. Number five, have you honored and spent time with your spouse or roommates if you're not married? And number six, have you been diligent to fulfill the things God has called you to do? Now, this is an obedience question. Has God told you to start doing something and you just haven't? Is he telling you to spend time with you, with him, and you just haven't? And then number seven, because this is the fire edition, have you just lied to me about any of these other six questions? <laughs> now, you can understand why that would be important based on this particular list, right? Everybody's like, did the fire edition come with fire? Because I feel really hot right now. I don't feel right. Listen, guys, what would it look like if you could answer those questions with integrity with someone in your life? What would you, how would you change? How would you grow if you had the freedom to say, listen, I'll just be super honest with you. We have been, we've known about these questions for a really, really long time. And so in our marriage in particular, it's really important to me and to Grant that we're really honest about our relationships with the opposite sex. Because not like either one of us are nervous about something happening. More than anything, it's like I don't want there to be any secrets. He doesn't want there to be any secrets. So if we're out and about and having a conversation with someone that feels like it was maybe not as platonic as it should be, right, or maybe too joking or whatever, the first thing we do when we get home is like, hey, this, this happened. I just want you to know. It's not like I want to do anything about it. I just want you to know so that we're together in that. Why? It, this is for us in our relationship. I'm not saying anybody else has to do that. I'm just saying it's like when you're known by someone and they know all the crap that's in you and they love you anyway and they actually continue to support you anyway and they actually say, you're better than this. You're better than this. You can. You've got time in your schedule to find time with the Lord. You can do this. When you've got that in your life, man, your relationship goes from here to here with God. Remember, God reserves parts of your development to be given to other people. Some of us are really familiar with what it feels like to be loved unconditionally by God, but we need to learn what it feels like to be loved unconditionally by people. Now, I am not suggesting you take this list to the happy hour after your, like, the work lunch, right? I'm not suggesting you take this list to day one of the group you sign up for. I'm suggesting you take this list to the people that you have chosen. You are, like, my peer disciplers. I'm giving you a place to speak into my life, all right? 
So I said this before, I'll say it again, I double dog dare you to answer all seven of those questions on the feet to the fire list to someone in the next seven weeks and see how you, not seven weeks, in the next two weeks and see how you feel about it. See what changes in you. See if you feel relieved. And if you don't feel like you can do that, it's cool. Start with the toes in the water edition. Amen. All right. I want to pray uh, as we wrap this up and uh, give everybody, you know, a hug. It's okay. We can do this. We're going to change the world. We're going to support each other. And, you know, if you don't know, there are people in this room who can handle these seven answers. Okay. So there, it's true. And if you can't find them, shoot me a text and I'll be your guinea pig and I'll show you what it's like to have someone listen to you and love you anyway. Um, all right, I'm going to pray for you. And, um, okay, put your hand on your heart. Lord, I just pray for every person in here that we would discover the joy of walking deeply with others. Lord, I pray for every person in here we discover the joy of what it's like to be able to unveil our soul to someone and be met with your kindness and love through them. And so, Father, I just pray over every person that feels anxious about these lists, Lord, that you would just speak peace over that, that you would um, speak your care and your gentle love over each and every one of us. And, Lord, I also pray that you teach us how to be radically obedient to what you're calling us to so that we can light this metro on fire. In Jesus' name, amen.